Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first issue of Inside Fertilizer Analytics from Argus for some time. Um, we're really glad to be bringing these back as we come into the end of 2022. And our first issue in this latest series is going to cover phosphate rock. We have just published the latest issue of Phosphate Rock Analytics, which you would have seen if you're a subscriber. And I have joining me Clara Lloyd, who is Senior Manager covering our phosphate portfolio, and Tim Evans, who works with Clara uh, covering phosphates too. And uh, they're going to cover some thorny and interesting questions uh, arising from the latest issue. So I'm really glad to have them on board. If you don't know me, I'm Tim Chain, Head of Fertilizers at Argus, and often the uh, convener of these Fertilizer Analytics podcasts. So let's get straight into the, the subject. Welcome, Tim and Clara. I'd like to start really on the demand side. And it's an unusual issue, which I, I'm interested to hear about myself. But we always look at policy frameworks and changing and even sometimes uncertain policy creates issues for the market. But I was wondering about policy changes that you've been looking at during the research for your latest Rock Analytics report. What were the policy updates that you found most interesting and that you focused in on the spotlight? First, thanks for having me. And I guess the most recent and more interesting policy-related information, this analytics has come from India. And what we've seen is Indian authorities seem to be becoming increasingly vigilant on environmental problems arising from the accumulation of phosphogypsum at fertilizer plants. There's some sentiment that unless the byproduct can be commoditized for other uses, it's possible that regulators will move to curb the growth side of the of rock consumption in favor of phosphoric acid imports. And the issue with commoditizing the product is essentially you really need rock of a sufficient grade and purity. You need to watch for, for cadmium content and radiation levels. So one of the more interesting things we could see is you could start to see India opting to source rock of a higher grade uh, or purity, or at least increase the share of that that they seek out. You know, it's still early analysis and very little has been officially discussed or released, but it's one of the things that we're, we're monitoring closely. And then, you know, outside of, of India, another interesting thing, which I think will develop more in long term would be as we look west of Suez, we've obviously seen Brazil elect a new President Lula replacing Bolsonaro. And I would say, again, this is more of a qualitative overview at this point, but you know, similarly to Bolsonaro, Lula has discussed plans to increase domestic fertilizer production and reduce Brazil's fertilizer imports from about 75% to, to 25%. But this, his methods are expected to differ slightly from the former president. And this is mainly based on his previous attitude towards the, the policy as well. well. We expect Lula will want to strengthen domestic production but doing so by encouraging state-owned companies in the sector. And it's not immediately clear how that will develop, but we expect there will be significant support to reduce Brazil's imports over time, but it's unclear exactly in what form the support will come at this time. Yeah, that's very interesting. Growing fertilizer production in Brazil has a rocky history, so excuse exactly. the pun. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see how that develops over time. Um, Clara, let's turn across to the supply side. I think we were saying we haven't done a, a rock podcast like this for more than a year back, perhaps in 2021. Can you give us an update on the project side? There's been activity, I know, in terms of new projects being announced. Has there been new capacity coming on stream, new mine capacity? How would you sum up the current supply situation in terms of projects and new mines? Good to be back again, doing another podcast. Um, so yeah, I think there's been a couple of mines I think I find very interesting in our firm forecast, really, just to start with. Afrimat, a South African mining company who've never really dabbled in phosphates before, bought a abandoned, previously processed mine at the end of last year, and they started selling rock from it in the middle of this year. They're selling at the moment from stockpiles, and it's sort of North South Africa near the Botswana border. 
they've started selling rock from stockpiles, 60 to 90,000 tonnes a month. And they think this will last them about five years if they keep selling at this rate. It's to domestic market, organic, direct application use. But they've got plans. There is, for when this rock runs out, about 7 million tonnes of mineable product that they are aware of under the ground. So they have plans to start production once again, once those stockpiles of about 3 million tonnes or so run out. And also they want to build integrated SSP production. So that will be an interesting step as well. We're seeing a lot more, regardless of scale of project on the mine side, integrated capacity becoming a route people are choosing. So that's one I think I find quite interesting that's come about in the time since our last podcast. And the next one is obviously the Agriflex-owned Ardmore mine in Australia. They have exported their first bulk cargo. It was shipped out of Townsville in October, and it's the first notable cargo of mainland Australian produced rock exported pretty much ever. And we've seen, obviously, Christmas Island exporting product, and that's where our Australian numbers in our rock analytics come for, because it's an Australian territory. But this is the mainland market. And for me, that's really exciting. I think the logistics are obviously a question. We're talking, what, a thousand kilometres at least to be railed from the mine site to the port. But to see it happen is really intriguing. And these guys at the moment are still considering themselves to have made a final investment decision. So it's going to be about an 800,000 tonne per year mine when it does come to full operation. But to see already that first test cargo go out is really intriguing. So once they do make that decision, we expect on our side anyway, they will split their production between overseas export and the domestic market. And exports, we expect, could pick up to about 300, 350,000 tonnes a year. But the mine doesn't have that long a mine life. We'll see them go offline in the early 2030s. I say not a long mine life. It's 10 years from now. But you know, considering we've got mines that go on almost infinitely, it's quite a short space of time. But it's a really exciting one to see and one that's you know in our firm forecast. It hit it this year and will be straight away keeping on in there for a while, we expect. That is exciting. I know it's in the context of a lot of other project activity in Australia. Can you talk to other less firm or more speculative projects that you're keeping an eye on in Australia and, and elsewhere? Yep. So Australia has become a really interesting one, I would say, in the last 18 months. Obviously, I think the price rally in the world of phosphates as a whole has really encouraged investment to be pushed into the market. I could talk for a while about whether this is necessarily going to be the best idea or not, considering we talk about prices possibly a little bit later. But there are, I think, five or six projects across our possible and speculative forecast which aren't included. Some of these are really interesting projects which have very high quality rock. We're looking at plus 35, 36, 37, 38% P205 content. And we envisage these will not necessarily be targeted at the FERTS market. These are what we're considering will be battery projects if they come into operation. But there's also a couple of projects more speculative side, which are maybe considered a little bit more avant-garde as some of them are integrated with whole other infrastructure projects where one company in particular, Chatham Rock Phosphate, want to build a 5 million tonnes per year phosphate handling terminal at Townsville on top of the three mine projects they're currently looking at in Australia, which is Corella, Corella North and Corella South. So Australia's got a lot of attention. It is good quality rock. You know, we've been seeing a lot of reports and breakdowns on them and the reserves are big, but it's just a very big, significant investment. It's a lot of infrastructure. They're a long way away from port, which is why we are at the moment hesitant to put them in our firm forecast other than obviously Agriflex, which has made that break into the export market already. It's it's really an interesting contrast to iron ore, where the iron ore prices have been really tough in Australia. Iron ore producers are struggling, so it's quite a contrast. Let's move across to pricing. When you think about the various projects coming on stream and the policy issues, what, you know, what are you thinking will be the key influences and, and risks for pricing going forward? 
I mean, when we look at our price forecast now, when you look at ROC and you look at the comparison to our processed phosphate and DAP in particular, obviously DAP and the value of P205 in it leads the price of ROC. So our forecast is, you know, for if you're a producer, we're going to bring you misery and woe. I am very sorry. But prices we see are dropping off over the next sort of two years, 18 months to two years. And we'll be not back to levels we've seen historically. We won't be you know, back to your 70s and your 80s FOB, but we're not going to be far off. And that's just because the sheer volume of capacity we've got coming. We've got OCP, we've got, and that's obviously the big export one we're looking at. We've got projects even in North America, in the US, which are going to be online next year. And that's an export market project as well. So a lot of new capacity, a lot of it targeted at the export market. And that's really helping to fuel this price softening, which will align with the, the P205 price softening as well on the value of DAP. But the two things I think which are really interesting at the moment are some sort of price risks. And I would say risks, price evolution, shall we say, I think is possibly the better way to phrase it. And this is a sort of a tiering system appearing in the rock market, and they could be twofold. One could be at the higher level two-tier price system appearing for rock that's not for FERTS consumption. This will be largely for the battery guys. I know when we talked a couple of months ago, I say a couple of months ago, a while ago now, we talked about the lithium ion phosphate battery market. And that's LF- something LFP we can continue. batteries, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And that's something we've continued to do our research into. And next year, we're going to look to a bit more. But the rock for these projects is your 36, your 37, your 38% P205 rather than FERTs when you know, it's 32 really, maybe me at a maximum people look for. So projects in Australia, projects in Canada, these guys are really looking at that high P205 content grade rock, but they're also some of the most expensive projects in the pipeline to potentially come online, which why a lot of them aren't considered firm for us at the moment. They need that guaranteed off take of their product. So we've talked to market participants about it, but we are largely expecting there could be that case when rock for production of purified phosphoric acid or for LFP consumption could be priced at a higher level of purity and its higher P205 content. And also if that does start to materialise into the market, that will obviously help these higher cost projects come to operation because they will be able to produce the rock and sell it at a profit. Obviously, at the same time, the LFP market is a bit of a slow burner on the numbers we're looking at so far. So they may struggle to command that price, but it's something we're keeping an eye on. The other one is legislation within the FERTS industry. And we all know, obviously, there's the minimal cadmium content in Europe as an example. And that's one people have been speaking to us about again. And these are these producers with very low cadmium content in their rock. South Africa, for example, again, the Australians, again, the Canadians. But it's really when we look at South African product, we found the most interesting, as we have been hearing, because of the new mines come online from, well, crops, which is very slowly ramping up. Obviously, there's the Glenover mine with Afrimat, and there's a couple of other projects in the very early stages in South Africa. But the cadmium level is so very, very low. And that, again, there is that expectation Europe already plays a more elevated price than other markets for rock. But could another tier on top of that again come into position so these guys with low cadmium have target markets which they can sell at a premium to? We're not seeing this transpire yet, but it's something that's bubbling under the surface of this potential, depending on region and depending on end product and industry, could we see that tiered staggered system? So FERTS in one region pays a certain amount or FERTS as a whole and other sectors, another more environmentally oriented, heavily legislated guys pay another one. So it's interesting times for the rock side of things. Yeah, that's interesting. So just to be clear, you'd we could see a, a premium in P2O5 terms for these higher P2O5 containing rock sources to justify mm-hmm. their, their use in these in these applications that value that particular characteristic, either the low cadmium or, or just the, the sheer high P2O5 content. Yep, something we're just starting to evolve. But yeah, something we're definitely watching very closely at the moment. Really interesting to flag that up. Thank you. 
finally, I'd like to just turn back to Tim and ask, in terms of how you're thinking about our coverage in phosphate rock analytics, what do you have coming up in the year ahead? I know you've been planning your pipeline of new developments and new content. So how do you see the new content and new offerings evolving in the product? I mean, this is really split sort of into immediate and, and long-term objectives. In the short term, what we're really looking to do is improve our long-run marginal cost curve. And when I say improvement, I think the majority of the improvement will be coming from its increased granularity. And there are reasons for that that I'll go into in a bit. But you know, essentially, we want a better observation of, of a cost breakdown into components of energy, labor, consumables, and, and sustaining capex. And really, this is going to come out in sort of three stages. The initial is sort of your heavy research going, finding out mine types, you know, ore types that are there, grades, labor costs, you know, how many people work at the plant, energy consumption may differ with, with how tough the rock is to get out. And what this will allow us to do is essentially build out functions across the components that I mentioned earlier. So your energy, labor, consumables, and it will allow us to create a custom cost curve for a hypothetical generic mine in each of these countries. And these generic mines will essentially be representing the potential new mine development in that country. That will be sort of the second stage of the building out the model itself. And then finally, it's the checking that the output matches against historical data from a range of mines in different regions and just make sure that if assumptions need adjustments or things like that, we can we can go about doing that. With all this work going into the LRMC, we wanted to try and hit two birds with one stone and you know, we've improved more granular LMC, and this will help us add uh, an investment analysis section in the long form of this year. And what we're trying to achieve with this investment analysis is essentially to be able to narrow down on where we think new mine development will occur, what's the most likely region. And the way we do this is we essentially compare the asset uh, against a criteria of success that we deem essential for commodity assets. And the three criterias that you would have to consider are access to resources at reasonable rates, access to markets at reasonable rates, and, and access to capital at reasonable rates. And you don't need all three at excellent levels, but you need an aggregate to achieve a sufficient level. And, and what we're going to try and do is enumerate this in a comparable manner, these different access to things. We've got our improved operating and capital costs, along with our estimates on, on capital structure and the cost of, of raising that capital. Our ambition is to calculate a break-even price in a phosphate rock production at that specific mine or at that generic mine in today's money, determine potential free cash flow that the asset would yield, and, and second, to calculate its economic return in excess of its risk-adjusted weighted cost of capital. And ultimately, what this will allow us to do is give us a rank order of the potential success of each mine investment and help us determine which regions are therefore more likely to develop this new phosphate mine. We're doing all this effort to, to obviously help improve our cost curve, create this investment analysis, and that's our more immediate goal. And I would say that we have an ongoing longer-term objective, which is we want to take these improved costs and, and granularity and take it to a buy mine cost curve. So rather than having a generic plant that only represents sort of our future potential mines, we have a cost curve and forecasted cost curve for existing mines as well. And what this will allow us to do is more personalized scenario analysis. And it also gives subscribers the ability to include their own assumptions if it differs in, in some way to ours and basically gives greater manipulation power to the subscribers if they need to. And again, you know, the similar process in terms of the stages mentioned earlier, just more bulky. Yeah, no, that's exciting. We're looking at doing that particular exercise across our fertilizer commodities. 
and we're hoping to have an interactive dashboard, which customers will be able to adjust those assumptions on, hoping to get that launched sometime during the course of next year. Tim, that's been really useful to know, and I think our subscribers would appreciate having a roadmap of what's coming. I'd encourage you, if you're listening, to download the latest Phosphate Rock Analytics report, which is just published, or look out for the annual long-term report that will be published during December, which will include some of this new investments analysis that uh, Tim and Clara have described. If you aren't a subscriber, of course, reach out to your account manager or one of us, and we can connect you up with someone who can arrange access and you can have the ability to see and read some of this amazing analysis from our team. So I've been Tim here in Hamburg today. Clara and the other Tim have been in London. Thanks for joining us. And please look out for the next issue of Inside Fertilizer Analytics. Mm-hmm.